You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Grio and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about black history, past and present. So here's the way this works. We have five rounds of questions about us, black history, the whole diaspora, current events, everything. With each round, the questions will get a little bit tougher, and the guest has 15 seconds to get it right. If they answer the question correctly, they will receive one symbolic black fist and hear this. If they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we'll still love them anyway. And after the five questions, there'll be a black bonus round at the end just for fun. Our guest for this episode is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania native Damon Young. He's a writer, critic, humorist, satirist, and professional black person. He's a columnist at the Washington Post magazine. He's the host of Stuck with Damon Young. And his debut memoir, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker, is available now. He's also the co-founder of Very Smart Brothers with Grio host Panama Jackson. Damon, welcome, and thank you so much for joining The Blackest Questions. Hey, thanks for having me. I have enjoyed watching and reading your intellect over the years. I just think smart black people are the greatest gift to society. (laughs) And I don't know what we did to deserve you as a writer, as a critic, as an observer of black culture. Um, I just, I'm so appreciative for you joining us today. Well, you know what, you you could, you could, you could attribute that to three things. Uh, One is my dad for, well, I asked both of my parents because they both had a had a had a hand, I guess, in in, in raising me, um, and um, also the recession that hit mm. in two thousand and nine. Because if it wasn't for that, I'd probably still be in academia in some capacity. Um, and that, you know, instance kind of pushed me into okay, you don't have a job, but you have this blog, and you can collect long term unemployment. So let's see if you could actually do this writing thing full time, right? Um, and so, and so there's that, and also just America. You know, America just writes its own law, writes its own scripts. You know, I, all I do is I, I look outside my window, <laughs> I go outside and walk around. Yes. And, and the words just come. Just from, she always just provides. From all the, yeah, all the fuck shit that's happening. <laughs> yeah, she, she provides <laughs> right. a lot of nonsense, chaos, and mayhem um, on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, we are so appreciative for you to join us. Are you ready? To answer some I, questions? I think, yeah, I think so. Let's go. Okay, Hit let's me. get started. First question for you, Damon. This famous black playwright grew up in your hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. August Wilson. <laughs> oh, yes, coming in hot. Come on, yes, come August on. Wilson. Two notable August Wilson plays, obviously Fences and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I'm sure lots of our listeners have heard of. Did you know that August Wilson's original first name was Frederick? Mm-hmm. Frederick Kittle. Uh, and he changed his name to August Wilson. He grew up mm-hmm. in the lively neighborhood of Pittsburgh, known as the Hill District before settling, which became the setting for most of his plays. And in 1978, August Wilson relocated uh, to write his first play, Jitney, uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. So you clearly know August Wilson. I'm a massive August Wilson fan. Like, always has been, always have been. Like, are you, is it in the DNA, in the blood, if you're yeah, from Pittsburgh, yeah, you love you August can. Wilson? Or is it just sort of like, y'all, you know, all you non-Pittsburghians just think you know August Wilson, but you really don't? So it, it's Pittsburgher. It's, oh, it's a Pittsburgher. <laughs> Pittsburgher, all right. And um, and and yeah, I mean August Wilson is is in our DNA. I mean they um they inject us 
with the micro file of of Jitney and um, the piano lesson when we're born here. Mm -hmm. If you're black and you're born here, you know what I mean? So yeah, and I, one of my first jobs as like a writer, a professional writer was at the August Wilson Center for African American Culture. Really? Um, in, in downtown Pittsburgh. So, so yeah. Um, what was the job? I, there was a literary magazine that they wanted to, that they wanted to launch and I was going to lead it. Um, and we gathered a bunch of writers and academics from, from, from the Pittsburgh area and were ready to go. But then they were having some budget issues. Um, and the thing just never, ever happened. And this was, this was like 2011. Okay. Do you All have right. a favorite August Wilson play? Um, either fences or radio golf, mm. Mm. and 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 radio golf, I, I guess is um is a little precious to me because I saw my wife and I um went to New York City. I want to say in two thousand and fourteen or fifteen yep. to watch a live reading. It was directed by um Ruben Santiago Hudson. Hudson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was just a really just awesome performance. So again, and 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 and, and it's a play. That I wasn't really that familiar with, you know, as far as like a century cycle. But um, but yeah, so fences and radio golf. I mean, I have so much respect for Ruben Santiago Hudson as sort of the, the keeper in many ways of the August Wilson legacy. I've had, you know, the privilege of seeing it sort of on Broadway, but also in these like smaller, uh-huh. you know, off Broadway and off off Broadway productions. And mm. I learned something every time. And I just feel like even though the setting is Pittsburgh, so many of the stories are like universal black people stories. And that's kind of the way I view your writing like even though it might be specific sometimes about time and place it's also this universal narrative that we can kind of reflect on and also usually crack up about all right listen you coming in hot you ready for number two <laughs> let's, let's go okay let's, let's go. go what is the name of the basketball team that j cole played for in africa oh i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea it was the rwanda patriots and so okay. the Grammy Award-winning yeah, I... rapper played on the Rwandan team for the African Basketball League. Uh, he made his debut there in 2021. And after leaving the African Basketball League, J. Cole headed to the Canadian Basketball League, and he started playing there in 2022. It's funny how how hip-hop and basketball are like my, those are my things. Yeah. But this is the one, this is like the one, you know, this is like my one blind spot is J. Cole. J. Cole fact, because I, I am complete. I, it, it's not necessarily that I'm not a fan of J. Cole, like, I don't dislike him or anything like that, but, you know, I, I, I probably have the least, in terms of people who have a certain prominence right now in, in, in hip-hop and rap music, I probably have the least amount of, of knowledge about him. Right. My sister's a massive fan, and I honestly, gun to my head, I couldn't tell you a single J. Cole song. Not a one. I mean, granted, I'm also stuck you. in hip-hop from 1993 to 1998, so <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not saying much about me. Yeah, I could tell you probably three or four. Now, if they asked me to name ten, then yeah, we, we I would just be dead. But like, yeah, you just, you just got to shoot me. Right, it's like, right. well, here we are. Right. Now, I, I like this idea, you know, I've spoken to Justin Tinsley, who just wrote the great book about uh, Biggie. Uh, and this idea of sports in hip hop and the convergence of the two, you know, um, I'm I'm a huge fan, obviously, of hip hop, and I actually much prefer to write about and read about sports as opposed to watching sports. But why do you think Uh-oh. that there's such a synergy between hip hop and athletics right now? Oh, well, I mean, 
I, I think, you know, there's, there's obvious, you know, uh, there's the obvious answer about how, you know, if you're, if you're a young kid from the hood, young male in the hood, you know, you see the rappers and you see the ball players and you see those people as people to emulate it. And that's a stereotype that, that there is some truth to that. You know, there also are artists and, and engineers and teachers and, you know, firemen and, and barbers or whatever, entrepreneurs that are in the hood too, that people look up to also. But, you know, you see the people that have the money, right, um, that, that you know, are doing like the, 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 the major you know things, whatever, and those are the rappers and the ball players. So, so there's that. But I, I also think that more than that, even um, there's just a creative synergy. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, hip hop is, you know, hip hop is universal, is worldwide mm-hmm. right now. But it came from the con. It's the roads that you know busted through the concrete. It, you know, it's a street, New York City, urban you know, culture-driven sort of thing, and basketball is a city game. Right. I oftentimes credit Allen Iverson as that, like, perfect nexus of the two. I know he wasn't the only one, but, like, when I think of when hip-hop and basketball sort of became this marriage, the first person that pops into my head is Allen Iverson. Who pops into yours? I think AI is a, I think AI is a, is a, is a you know, it's a good nexus point for that, you know, and just in terms of, like, the unabashed, you know, in your face, um, it, 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 the unabashed in your facedness. I'm just making up a word of hip hop culture, and Iverson is like I, I think the most prominent example of that. You know, he was. I, I I feel like Iverson, you know, doesn't get a lot of cultural credit mm-hmm. for things that he held spearhead. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, for me, I I wore my haircut and I wore Caesar. Um, you know, for probably about 15 years, right? And that was because I saw Alan Iverson his his sophomore year at Georgetown, mm-hmm. where he had a Caesar. He didn't have a fade. He didn't have a bald head. He had it even all the way. And I was like, Yo, that looks dope. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. Iverson is also the one who I guess tattoos have become yes. more and more ubiquitous. Yes. You know, over the last 20 years, and Iverson is the, is probably the main person. Who helped spearhead at that too, and 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 that's and that is a that is a you know again a universal thing. And now, you know, fifteen twenty years later, it's there's a whole ecosystem around what NBA players wear to the games. I think about Russell Russell Westbrook, you know, or in the NFL, I think about Cam Newton. <laughs> I'm like Cam. I mean, this is wild even for me. <laughs> We're going to have, have, have to have another episode about uh, fashion and uh, black athletes. All right. Number three. You ready? Hit me. Which legendary Negro League player was inducted into the Hall of Fame without ever playing in the major leagues? Um, I mean, Josh Gibson is That's one. right. That's correct. Okay. He was, Josh Gibson was considered the greatest player to never play in the major leagues. He was born in Buena Vista, Georgia in 1911, and he played in two Pittsburgh teams from 1936 to 1946, the Pittsburgh Crawfords and the Homestead Grays, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1972. He was known as the Black Babe Ruth for nearly 800 career home runs, and he died in Pittsburgh in 1947 of an apparent stroke at the age of 36. So you've definitely heard about Josh Josh Gibson being from Pittsburgh. What did you Mm -hmm. learn about him and when? 
Well, I, I mean, and again, Josh Gibson is another one of those people who, you know, like August Wilson, is just a part of the part of the fabric here. If you are a black Pittsburgher, the thing that people say is that he really died of a broken heart of, you know, not being able to play in a major league. Like that's, that's like mm-hmm. down of a stroke, but that, that he really died mm-hmm. of a broken heart. Now, did you ever play baseball growing up or any sports? I mean, I, I played baseball on the street, um, but I, I played basketball, high school, and college. Oh, really? Um, went, to, went to college on a basketball school. I did not know that. So, huh? Uh-huh. Uh, I'm a Uber, yeah. What position did you play? <laughs> I was a guard. And who was your favorite player growing up? Growing up, it was it was Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. Yeah, MJ. MJ is my favorite, yeah. I, I also liked him Hardaway because he, he played the way that I kind of wanted to play. My favorite player growing up was Dominique Wilkins. <laughs> I just... Thought he was okay. a fantastic player, but I feel like there still hasn't been like a definitive Michael Jordan anthology to like really talk about his impact on the culture, black and white. You know, like when he chooses not to endorse particular people running for Senate, or when when he's not necessarily very political. But the fact that he's like this global sports icon in a way that's different from Muhammad Ali, it's different from you know, Paul Robeson or, or whomever, you know, black sports leaders. He's just this phenomenon that goes, I feel like, across gender, across age, and definitely, you know, in this global context, it, I'm still trying to wrap my head around Michael Jordan as like a Michael Jackson of sports. Yeah, he, he was the first, he's the first black, or, or at least the first um, black American sports star who, who had pop star mm-hmm. status. Mm-hmm where he had gotten to a point where there there are people who believe that he transcended race. Now, you, you can't ever do that. But there are, you know, like there are white racists <laughs> who will say that, oh yeah, Michael Jordan was my favorite. Michael Jordan's not black. He's Michael Jordan. Right, exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> Michael Jordan's not black. He's Michael Jordan. But yeah, and, and I think that if, if we want to get a documentary like that, if we want to get like a definitive anthology about Michael Jordan, like that created, it can't be produced. Oh, absolutely not. Because, yeah, The Last Dance, you know, The Last Dance was great, but that was, um... Hagiography. You know, that, that, yeah, hagiography. Thank you for saying that word that I was trying to say, I was trying to think of saying, I was like, I'm not sure I know how to pronounce this. (laughs) Listen, I gotta make up for the fact that I said Pittsburghian. I'm I'm glad you said that for me, but yeah, I mean, it was, and it was obvious propaganda, too, because MJ is aware that there's a player in the league right now that is on yes. his heels and and so he drops that documentary right after lebron mm-hmm. wins his fourth you know his fourth championship is like you know in case yeah, y'all forgot because a lot of kids don't know and a lot of people were forgetting right i mean you have kids growing mm-hmm. up the same way you said michael jordan like so many kids not just black kids kids your age and, and your era they're kids nowadays who are like lebron james definitively is my favorite player that's <laughs> okay question number four are you ready <laughs> let's go Okay, the eldest of nine children, growing up in Harlem during the 1920s, this American novelist died in 1987 in St. Paul, France. Who is he? Uh, James Baldwin. That's right. Playwright, essayist, novelist, whose eloquence and passion on race made his voice influential during the 1950s and 60s in the U.S. and Europe and beyond. Between the ages of 14 and 16, Baldwin was a preacher in a revivalist church and which he wrote about in his semi-autobiographical novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain, which was his first novel, which was published in 1953. When did you first learn about Baldwin, and do you have a favorite Baldwin book? Honestly, like, I, I was late to Baldwin. Mm, okay. I was late to Baldwin. Now, on, now, growing up, you know, I read, 
a lot of what my parents read. So my parents, uh, my mom was reading Tony, you know, read a lot of Tony Morrison. Um, so I was reading that. Um, I read The Godfather when I was like eight years old, which is a strange book. Okay. For an eight-year-old to read. That's right. I am. Um, I read. I think the first Baldwin book I ever read was in middle school. I read Another Country because my sister was reading it in high school. I'm just always surprised that so many schools still don't have Baldwin in their canon. You know. Like we're all reading Catcher in the Rye, yeah. and I'm like, we need to be reading the Baldwin, please. But I think my biggest caveat is you have to have teachers who know how to teach Baldwin. And in you know, and even you know, thinking about thinking back of my the schools I was at, my introduction to Baldwin was really people I knew in college who had read him. Mm-hmm. Like when I worked, I, I was the editor for the black newspaper um, in college, and that really was my first introduction. Where'd you go to college? Canisius College in Buffalo. New York. Buffalo, New York. Shout out to Buffalo. Yeah. Okay, last question. You ready? Uh, I mean, you're, me. you're killing the game over here. I love it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still I'm, I still feel aware about you hit me with that J. Cole <laughs> uh, curveball. The whole point of this podcast, Damon, is for all of our listeners to learn something. Now, I'm sure lots of our listeners didn't know about Josh Gibson or August Wilson. So, you know, it's for all of us to learn. Yeah, I still... <laughs> You want it five out of five. But, but go ahead. Well, let's, go, go ahead. Let's see if we, we get this one. Okay. Last question before the lightning round. Which iconic civil rights leader's wrongfully convicted killer is suing New York City for $40 million? Malcolm X. Malcolm X. That's right. Muhammad mm-hmm. Aziz filed a $40 million claim uh, in earlier in 2022, in, in uh, June and July. He's seeking redress for a conviction that overshadowed uh, over 55 years of his life. He was a 26-year-old father when he was ensnared in the assassination of Malcolm X, and New York's criminal justice system took 55 years to acknowledge that he had wrongly branded Aziz as one of Malcolm X's killers. You said that you read uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, How did you feel hearing this news that sort of what we had been told about who assassinated Malcolm X is no longer uh, necessarily true? I mean, I, I, I think with any, any sort of like you know, assassination plot, that's a conspiracy. There are, you know, I, we rarely get that right mm-hmm. in terms of who, who did the shooting, who was a part of it. And so it's not surprising to hear, you know, that this person, um, I guess, had been exonerated. But I, I do, you know, <laughs> my, the Twitter, Twitter brain um, in me does question, okay, maybe he, was he not a part at all? Is that what they said? Or they, he wasn't a part of the actual... Physical shooting, right. you know, because because again, for for something like this to happen, there has to be a, a massive conspiracy, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, many 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 people who have to plan have to be a part of the planning. Um, so, so again, I I don't know, right? But again, hearing this sort of news as a result of any sort of assassination attempt, particularly someone who is um, such a you know beloved and important figure. Like we'll, we'll be we'll be learning stuff about that. We'll be learning stuff about King's assassination. We'll be learning stuff about the Kennedys' assassinations mm-hmm. for for the next century. Right. I just right. as a more, black more person detail. in America, I just assume that we'll never fully know the true story. And I think that black people, by and large, have like a, a slightly healthy dose of of paranoia about this country because mm-hmm. we do know the length to which they'll go um, in various directions, uh, especially with you know leaders who are as charismatic and. and and brilliant as Malcolm X was. Okay, you ready for the black bonus round before I let you get out of here? Hey, let, you know what? I, 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 again, I'm gonna keep coming back. You messed up my perfect score. 
you have done so with, well. With light skin Jermaine. You've done I, so well. You know, well. I, I, I'm, I'm ambitious. You know, I come, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to get the best score. I don't even know what the best score ever was on this, but I'm trying to get that. Uh, I'm not sure, but you're, you're pretty high up there. And basically, here's what we'll do. We'll just, you promise that you'll come back and you can just keep trying to get five out of five. How about that? <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. All right. So this is the lightning round. These are just, I need your gut reaction to the questions I'm asking. Rapido. Okay. You ready? Okay. All right. Okay. Let's go. At the cookout, are we playing 90s or 2000s hip hop? Uh, 90s. 1980s NBA basketball or today's NBA basketball? Today's. Best stand-up comedian goes to Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor? Eddie, because he came after. Okay. Yeah. A different world or grownish? Oh, a different world. At the cookout, what's on the grill? Pork ribs or beef ribs? Good beef ribs are like the best beef ribs are better than the best pork ribs. But you could you could up a beef rib That's though. That's right. So it, it you you have to have a skill you know practitioner on the grill. You were absolutely right. Um, but yeah, beef ribs. Okay. Have a higher have a higher skill with with an asterisk like with somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Okay. On Thanksgiving, are we eating fried turkey or traditional turkey? Fried turkey now. Okay. Um, you know, my dad only smokes the turkey. I've never had an oven turkey for Thanksgiving. He only smokes it on the grill. And I love it. We did fried turkey for the first time ever last Thanksgiving, and we are never going back. Okay. Oh, wow. Our, our neighbor has a deep fryer, and, and people in the neighborhood would, like, would like come to him in shifts, and he, and we deep fried for what, what would be like an hour, hour and a half or whatever. And, yeah, we are never, ever, ever going back oh, wow. to, okay. to traditional, you know, uh, turkey preparation. Okay, last question. Favorite NBA coach? Favorite coach? You know, I, 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 I've always loved my man Ty Luke. Mm. Mm. Because he just, he, he seems like the, 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 the sitcom, like the best friend of the main character. Mm -hmm. Who comes in and is like always just annoyed. He's the Ron Johnson of the <laughs> like, NBA. Yeah, like like someone like he would be played by by a comedian, uh -huh. right? If he were if he were on a if he were on a sitcom, and I just I just like his general demeanor where he just seems to be over it all the time, and he's also a great coach. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't get the sort of you know sort of recognition that like a pop. No, he hasn't had the same career same length of career as like Popovich or whatever. But I think that he is a great coach who who isn't necessarily mentioned those upper echelon right. um, like conversations about coaches the as often as he needs to be. Well, I mean, he, he needs more of a, he, he needs more of a, more of a resume mm -hmm. for like the Pat Riley, you know, Phil mm -hmm. Jackson, like stratosphere. But in terms of contemporary coaches right now, right, he needs to be mentioned in the, in that top like five or six. Wow. You know, um, I, I've always believed that. And I, I like Spolstra too. Mm. I like Spolstra. Yeah. A lot. He's he's definitely grown on me over time. I met him. I met him a couple years ago. He, he seems pretty down to earth. Okay, so down to earth too. But uh, can you promise us that you're going to come back and join us for the blackest questions? So you can get five out of five. And the next time, we're just going to talk basketball the whole time. Okay. Hey, I'm. You, you let me know. You hit me up. I'm here. You know what I mean? We could talk. We could talk. Nineties NBA, eighties NBA, two thousands, twenty tens, twenty twenties. You know, I got it. You got it. I so appreciate yep. you joining us, Damon. Um, <laughs> and, you know, remind us again the name of your debut memoir. What doesn't kill you makes you blacker. You can actually see it. 
Um, I got that's a poster for one of my book signing events. It's like, you know, if you got this big ass poster, I might as well just take it home and put it on my wall. Also, you could, you know, read my column in the Washington Post, um, my weekly column. And also, you know, uh, subscribe and listen to Stuck with Damon Young, which is my um, podcast, which is exclusive on Spotify. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I can't wait to have you back. And I think you, I want to thank you for all that you do for Black people. You are a voice that is needed, uh, but your your humor and your intellect in how you contextualize America for Black people uh, is really, really important. And I just want to thank you again for joining us here on The Blackest Questions. Hey, Christina, thank you so much for having me. Um, this was great. You know, um, I really appreciate you reaching out and putting me on. I also appreciate the coordination with your glasses and, and, and the shirt. <laughs> You know, if I had the rights, I'd play a little J. Cole as an outro, but that might that might sting a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't share this podcast if you want to do that. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening to The Blackest Questions. And I want to thank our listeners for listening to The Blackest Questions. If you like what you heard, please download the Grio app and listen and watch many more great shows and share it with everyone you know. Don't forget, you can listen to the Grio's Writing Black podcast hosted by me, Maisha Kai. This isn't your typical writing podcast. We interview any and everybody that has anything to do with writing, from comics to poets to authors to journalists to politicians and more. Remember, that's Writing Black every Sunday right here on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. Download the Griot's app to listen to Writing Black wherever you are.